Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Six-year-old Carolyn Grimes was selected by director Frank Capra for the role of Zuzu Bailey in the 1946 classic holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where she worked closely with Jimmy Stewart, who played her father, George Bailey. As a child actress in Hollywood in the 1940s and early 1950s, Carolyn had the opportunity to appear in other movies with stars such as Cary Grant, Loretta Young, John Wayne, Lon Chaney Jr., and David Niven. Sadly, Carolyn's life changed dramatically following the death of both her parents within one year of each other. Orphaned at 15, Carolyn left Hollywood and was sent to live with relatives in Missouri. Though she was extremely unhappy in her new household, she eventually thrived with the loving support of her new small-town community. She went on to college and a successful career as a medical technologist. She also married and raised a family. At the age of 40, Carolyn was approached by someone wanting to interview her about her role as Zuzu Bailey. It wasn't until then that she sat down to watch It's a Wonderful Life for the very first time. Since then, she's been an ambassador for the movie and the positive, uplifting message it gives. This is her story. I'd now like to welcome Carolyn Grimes to our show. Welcome, Carolyn. Hello, I'm glad to be here this morning. Well, it's an honor to have you on this show. I can't believe I'm speaking with you because It's a Wonderful Life is one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Well, thank you. Christmas in my house kind of lasts all year. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We need, we need that, I think, really, because the actual Christmas season goes so quickly. We hate to let go of it. As a matter of fact, I look around my neighborhood. I still see that it's February now, and I still see people have their Christmas decorations hanging up. I think they're still trying to hold on to it. Well, they are. Plus, it's been pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, who wants to go out there and take them down? Exactly. A lot of people leave their decorations up all year. It just makes them feel better. I know. I know. So, Carolyn, how old were you when you played little Zuzu Bailey? In I was six years life? old when I played Zuzu. You were six years old. I understand that that wasn't your first movie. No, no, it wasn't. I did four other movies before I did that one. And I modeled and my mother had me into everything. Let me back up a little bit. Carolyn, where were you born and what are some of your earliest memories? I was born in Hollywood at the Hollywood Hospital, which is no longer there. And I was born on the 4th of July. But uh, I lived in Hollywood for many years. And then we moved a little bit out into the Los Angeles area after, when I was eight years old. So um, that was a whole different life out there. We used to ride streetcars and, you know, it was quite the life. My wow. mother didn't drive. So uh, actually back then, a lot of women did not drive. Right. Now, did your mom and dad come from Hollywood originally, or did they come from other parts of the country? They both came from Missouri. They came out in the 30s when there weren't any jobs. It was during the Depression, and um, he had a friend from back in Missouri that came out to California, and he got a job as a conductor on um, a streetcar, and Jobs were hard to find. They just weren't around. So he was very fortunate to do that. And he talked my dad into coming out to California and my mom. And so they came out and my dad had a job within three days. He was working for the Safeway store. And eventually he became a manager of a Safeway store. Oh, what a blessing I'm sure that was to the family to have that income. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So how did you end up getting into pictures? My mom was a stage mom and, uh, you know, we lived in Hollywood and back in that day, almost all the kids in the area were in the movies. I mean, that was the industry of Hollywood at that time. So most everybody was connected with the movie industry in some way. So it was very common 
for um, you to put your kid in a movie. I mean, that's just the way it was. So she had the stage mother disease and <laughs> she decided to pluck me and take me around and I got lessons for everything, dancing, singing, elocution, dialect, drama, everything. And um, violin, piano, I started when I was three. She pushed and pushed and I, you know, excelled. So it worked out great and it really prepared me for life, I have to say. What a lot for a little child's mind to absorb, all that culture and all that uh, music and all the disciplines. We're, we're so open back then when we're that little. We're so smart. We absorb everything. Not like now. Good God. I, I read a book and I forget it the next day. You know, I, <laughs> life is hard. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like learning a foreign language for me. I got one of those uh, audio things about learning German a few years ago. I was listening to it in the car. Why didn't you pick a tough one? Oh, <laughs> I gave up. I said, I can't remember this. But you think of little kids that they're really, you're, you're right. They're open books and they're clean slates and they're ready to learn, right? Their mind isn't plugged with a lot of other things. You know, it's open. Exactly. So how did you get selected to play the part of Zuzu Bailey? Well, Frank Capra handpicked everyone that was in that movie. He even handpicked the extras. He just really? was that thorough. Back in the day, they didn't have auditions. They had interviews. So you went to the office and waited until it was your turn with maybe five or six other girls. And then you went into the office to meet the casting director. And in For It's a Wonderful Life, Capra was in there too. So um, we interviewed with both of them, the girls did. And so I walked in there after a mother had accidentally spilled some coffee on my dress. <laughs> accidentally, well, I'm not so sure. Uh, I heard my mom talking about it with another mother afterwards, and maybe it wasn't an accident, but it didn't bother me one bit. My dress was dirty, but I walked in there and, you know, talked to Capra and it was a great time. <laughs> And so he, he liked me. Wow. I, yeah, I guess he did. I, they, I guess there must've been a certain fit that they were looking for, for that part. I guess, I suppose, I, you know, he was, he was very, very OCD and picky mm -hmm. about everything. So his cast members were very important to him. And I really, in retrospect, can't think of one cast member that didn't fit or it didn't work. Oh, it's perfect. It really isn't. It was perfect. He chose very wisely. And there were so many characters in the movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like Eustace and Aunt Tilly. Yeah, I mean, he would, he just was perfection. Oh, definitely. Can you tell us some of the things that you do remember about being on the set of that movie? Well, yeah, actually, I liked that movie a lot because there were other kids on the stage. So I liked working when there were other children. And it was, um, well, it was the first time I'd ever seen snow. Wasn't real, but it was snow. Because in Hollywood, you know, it doesn't snow. So I had never seen anything like that. So that was fascinating right off the top. And um I, I just was so excited about being around that. And then um, there was this huge Christmas tree. Now I was an only child. My dad didn't make a lot of money and we had a Christmas tree on top of a table. So maybe it was, you know, three feet, two feet tall. You know, it was a small tree. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that giant tree, I, I was overwhelmed I just thought it was so gorgeous I kind of snuck around and played with the ornaments and there might have been one missing I don't know maybe oh maybe just maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's kind of cool do you remember some of the actors and actresses like working with them I remember Jimmy Stewart mm. and he was my focus I was always in his arms or around him. 
And um, I don't even remember Donna Reed. <laughs> I never had a line with her. She might have been in the scene at the end of the movie with me, but I didn't see her. I only saw him. And he made that happen. I think he just knew how to do that. So that he, he really worked on a relationship between us. And he did a great job because he's all I remember. Mm. He was kind and generous. And, and he, um, you know, he, he let me know that it's okay if I make a mistake. And, you know, any little girl likes to hear that. He was just a really good guy. Oh, that's nice. And uh, Frank Capra, did he work with you uh, a little bit on the set? As oh, well? absolutely. You know, he was perfectionist, as I said. So he gets down on his knees and looks you right in the eyes to tell you exactly what he wants you to do, how he wants you to feel, and whatever business has come up that changed the script or something, he wants you to, to see it directly eye level. He was great at that and kind and, and quiet. He wasn't one of these yelling directors who screamed at you and other people. He was just really sweet. He was a real master, that's for sure. Yes, he was. I mean, he was detail-oriented to a fault, really. He just, everything had to be just so. So do you have memories of, like, the sights and sounds? Do you remember the, any of the sets or the smells from... That oh, man, yes, I do. And um, let's see, 1993, the Target Company arranged to have the Bailey kids reunited. Mm. And then they sent us on a tour around the United States to their stores. And one of them, of course, was in the Hollywood area. So um, the youngest kid, Jimmy, Jimmy Hawkins, who played little Tommy, he made it possible for us to visit the stage that the movie was shot on. Really? Yeah, stage 14. And it was at, well, it was Culver City Studios at that time when we were there. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in that door, the smells, just the immenseness of, of that building it all came back. And I mean, I was just overwhelmed with memories. It was so great because there is a smell. There really is. And uh, oh, wow. wow, it was great. Did some of the faces start coming back to you while you were in that studio? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I just I just kind of walked around in my own world and enjoyed it and took it all in. It was oh, very good. That is so interesting. Did I hear and I may be totally wrong that that pool, the one that opened up and Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed fell into, is that still in existence? Do you know? Oh, yeah. It's in existence. It's actually located in the Beverly Hills High School, one, one of their gymnasiums. And I've been there. And really? they opened the floor. You can see the swimming pool. It was very cool. I also read that the filming, uh, a lot of the filming was done in the summertime, even though they were producing this artificial snow and that it was actually close to being a heat wave at some point. Do you remember any of that? Or do you remember hearing about that? Yes, it was 90 degrees. That was hot in California because, you know, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have anything. And so uh, it was very uh, warm and um, the sun was shining, but it was that way for filming most of the movie because it started in April, the filming and done in August. It really makes you feel like it's snow though. It doesn't look super fake. It just looks very real. And just the mood that that movie creates is just, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, um, <laughs> Frank Capra and his guys, he had a degree in chemical engineering. I didn't know that. And he and his friends got together and they um, mixed up a solution with uh, fomite and ivory soap flakes. And that was their snow because the snow before that had been made out of cornflakes sprayed with a white like paint. And the problem was that he didn't want was that you stepped on that and it crunched and he wanted silent snow. He didn't want crunching snow. So he got together with these cronies and they perfected this method of making snow. So it was 
just lovely. It really worked well. However, if you watch the movie, there's a time or two like on the radiator of the car when George runs into the tree, you know, it's snowing and you see soap suds dripping down the radiator. <laughs> and then, you know, when George jumps into the water to, to rescue Clarence, there's soap suds all around in the water. Uh, well, I'm going to look for that next time. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, watching the movie, the time when, when George Bailey, he's, you know, his uncle obviously misplaced the money and Potter stole it. And he goes back to his house and one of your siblings in the movie is playing the piano and there's stuff going on. And, and George is obviously in, a, in the verge of a, on a verge of a breakdown. And you see the stress in his eyes and his face and he's so irritable and he's irritated with everyone. Yet he seems to find a, a softness. He seems to pause when he interacts with Zuzu, your character. It just, it just stands out as there's a, there's a little bit of that, deep concern that that you're sick and he's worried about you and it's like a little pause from his breakdown that he's happening that's right he 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 went upstairs and he closed the door to the world mm. and he just focused on his little daughter who was sick and he was worried about her you know he could forget everything else that was happening that was bad but he loved her so he could just he cared about her and he wanted to be sure you know, she was okay. And he was worried about her. So I mean, for just a few minutes, but then he goes down and acts out all over the place. <laughs> he really does. And, and and of course, you're for those of you who've seen the movie, you know, what we're talking about, but your, your pedals, Zuzu's pedals are a very important part of his leaving sort of the reality and going to the place where Clarence has sent him. So that plays a big part. Do you remember Carolyn? the scene where you talk about uh, the bell ringing and an angel getting their wings. Do you remember filming that scene or the one where you're in bed when you're sick and George Bailey, your father is speaking with you? Do you remember doing those at all? Yeah, I do remember doing those. Um, I, I just wanted to mention one thing. My pedals were in the movie longer than I was. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I do remember. Um, I remember his, he, he was so kind and gentle. And you know, those scenes that you see are many takes and you do it over and over again. So, I mean, Jimmy Stewart was so kind and he, I, mean, I fluffed a line and he said, that's okay, Carolyn, next time you'll get it right. And I did. And um, he was so down to earth. He didn't look at you like you were a child and he was above you. He looked at you eye level and he was on your level. And uh, he just was a talented man in that regard. And when we went downstairs, you know, I had that interaction with him and it was uh, so special to be in his arms. And as I say, I don't even remember Donna Reed because I was totally focused on him. And I think that that's what Capra wanted and it, he made it happen. And of course, Jimmy Stewart held me. I mean, he, I'm either on his back or in his arms, that whole segment. <laughs> and, you know, that's pretty heavy for a six-year-old girl. No, I wasn't that light, but he, he held me and carried me that whole time. So especially down when I was hanging on his back, I'll never forget that because when we were on the stairs, the oldest boy, Petey, Larry Sims, he was holding up my bottoms so that I could hang on to George's back. And then he let go when I went down and hung on to George, which actually to Jimmy, I had my arms around his neck and my feet were wrapped around him like a little frog. And we did that over and over. And I was always afraid I was going to fall off. <laughs> he was tall. So yeah. that would have been quite a fall. He was six feet uh, four. He was tall and very, very skinny. Very skinny, which made him look even taller. Yeah, yeah. Now, I understand what I've read about him. He was a real war hero. He had um, flown a number of missions during World yeah. War II. And he, he was just fresh back from the service when he did that movie. That was the first movie he did. And he and 
cap or both, they didn't know if that was the path they should take. And this was a trial run, this movie. <laughs> so well, needless to say, they went on with their careers. Yeah. It was um, difficult because Jimmy had been through the war and he'd been through physically the war. He'd seen many things and done many things. And he was kind of a changed man. And he had to adjust to civilian life again, which was kind of difficult for him. He kind of had a little breakdown, I think. And um, then he, when Capper said, you know, you want to play a part of a man who, who plays an unborn part and, you know, it just sounded ridiculous, but he said, I'm your guy. And that's how it started. <laughs> yeah. He must've seen a lot of things uh, during the war. And uh, again, it had only been maybe a year since he'd been back and then playing the part of a, of a person who was under extreme stress. I think I read somewhere where part of it was just him actually coming out after all he'd seen. And uh, that's yeah. what made it even more realistic. Yeah, that's true. Terrific, terrific actor. But do you remember other than the children who I imagine you played with the, the other children on the set and there were yeah. several, um, mm -hmm. do you remember any of the other, actors or actresses? I know you mentioned Donna Reed. You don't remember too much interacting with her at all, but do you remember any of the other ones like Lionel Barrymore or the guy who played Clarence? No, I don't. I was all about Jimmy Stewart, but now oh. I saw all those people at the picnic they had afterwards. Then I had interactions with them too. That was at the uh, rap party picnic. That was great. And they had the cast, the crew and all their families. We had relays. We were in little boats on on some kind of lake. It was just the best. We had a wonderful party. They threw it and they danced. And it was just really a lot of fun. Carolyn, it is so amazing to think that you were at a party with all those people. And I actually saw a, a video that came out. I don't know if it was a 75th anniversary edition mm -hmm. or whatever. But the mm -hmm. one I watched had some bonus material. And it actually had that film from that, I think it was a home movie from that uh, rap party, I guess you call it. You were actually on the film and what was Jimmy Stewart doing? But he was holding you. Yeah. The film opens up with me on his show in his arms. And, and I've got this little fluffy sunsuit on with ruffles all over the bottom. Oh. <laughs> and um, that was the opening. And then one of the things that's funny about that little Tommy, Jimmy Hawkins mm -hmm. always told Carol Coons, who played Janie, always, he said, I won the watermelon eating contest. Mm -hmm. And we said, come on, you know, so for years, we said, you're crazy. You're just putting that on. You were four years old. How could you win? Well, we were sitting there watching this movie for the first time at the Academy. And it shows him. He won the watermelon eating contest and he's all, oh, he's, but he's preening in front of the cameras because he's so proud because he won. Of course. And I mean, he's four years old. Boy, did we have to eat crow. Let me <laughs> tell you, because for years we said, well, that's impossible. Oh man. But he did win. And I said, well, how did you win? You were four years old. And he said, I swallowed the seeds. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll do it. So, Carolyn, are you in touch with any of the children, actors or actresses from It's a Wonderful Life today? Oh, all of them. Yes. As I say, we were reunited in 1993. And we've been like brothers and sisters ever since then. And we lost Larry Sims, who was Petey. And um, it was down to five of us. Jimmy Hawkins and Carol Coombs, me. And then there was Janine Roos and she played young Violet Bick. Yes. And uh, unfortunately she got her wings right after Christmas this year. So. Yeah, I read that. That's, that is sad. That's so recent. I'm sorry for your loss, Callan. I'm sure you, I'm sure you missed well, it. We became awfully close. A lot of us did. She was a, a clinical psychologist 
she that's what she became. She was in radio for years. This was the only movie she ever made. And uh, she she didn't like movies. She didn't like working in movies. So she went into radio and she was on the Phil Harris show for years and years and years. And then she went to school and became a clinical psychologist. And so for years and years, we tried to contact her and ask her to be a part of, you know, festivities and so forth. And she had a real bad ill experience or two in films, and she didn't want to have anything to do with it. And she thought it was all Hollywood based and blah, blah, blah. She didn't realize that It's a Wonderful Life and the people who watch It's a Wonderful Life are a totally different crowd. And it is a movie that people can heal from. They can get lessons from. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful film. And so finally, there was a man in Missouri named Nicholas Inman. And he contacted her and he absolutely, he's got a spell or something. He can get people to do things that they don't won't necessarily want to do. So he roped her in and brought her in to the Cherry Blossom Festival. And I go to that every year. So I was really excited to meet her. And so I met her and I thought she was delightful. And so she was there for the whole festival. And she saw how people reacted to the movie. She heard the stories of how it changed their lives and made a difference. And she heard all this and saw all this And she said, Carolyn, I have missed out on something for many years. She said, I had no idea that it touched people's lives in such a positive manner. And it helped so many people through bad times. And she said, I want to be a part of this from now on. So she became one of the crew. (laughs) So we traveled around and had a lot of fun doing appearances for the film. That's great. Now, Carolyn, on that note, what would you say that the overarching message of It's a Wonderful Life is to those who watch it? Yeah, I think it's that each man's life touches another and and that we can all make a difference. No matter how small, no matter how minute we might think it is, Mm. we can make a difference. And that goes like a snowball. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that movie makes us also look at our own lives. And we see, wow, I have had a wonderful life. Or, you know, this was, you, you kind of investigate your own situations. And you look at the, you find the positives because you watch this film. So it makes you feel good and you feel better about life. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I I think my two favorite parts of the movie are when George is on the bridge. Is it Bert or Ernie who comes on the bridge in the police car? And Bert, Bert, he Mm -hmm. arrives and all of a sudden things change back. George is back to who he is again. And he realizes that his lip isn't blood. No, that his lip is bloody now, uh, that he's the real George Bailey again. And he has a chance to be back himself. And then the other part is at the end when all the people come rushing in to give money to donate and they're all crowding around him and he's holding you and and his arms and the families together. That part particularly makes me cry every time. Every time (laughs) without fail. And you know, what's going to happen, you know, all about it, but you still, it stirs up those feelings. It's such a remarkable film and remarkable acting and directing that made that happen to touch our lives the way it has. Yeah. It's just really incredible. Yeah. And of course the, the prayers going up, you, you know, you hear the prayers going up for George and yes. uh, it, it all boils down to faith, his family and his friends. And that's, all right. it all comes together at the end. It's, it's uh-huh. very impactful and, you know, it's uh I mean, it's, it's ageless. Uh, it's certainly something that we can put on every Christmas. And you know what? I've heard that there've been colorized versions of it. I don't want to see the colorized version. I don't think. You should. Is it good? It's great. 
Is it's it absolutely fabulous. The latest that came out from Paramount is stunning. Is you it? feel like it's 3D. It's like you're there. Oh. And in color, you notice things that you wouldn't notice before in the background. You see so much more. It's so, it's, it's more, um, there's fullness in watching it like that. It's fulfilling to watch it in color and see that the whole, all the props, all the sets, everything. There's so many small things that you don't notice in the black and white. And they all mean something. Capra, everything meant something. He has real pictures of Jimmy Stewart on his father's desk when he's talking to Potter at the beginning of the movie. I mean, he had things that were minute, but they had meaning. Just all kinds of things. Got you it. can watch it both ways, but you should at least introduce yourself to color because technology has moved forward so much that it's really, uh, it's a real honor and pleasure to watch it in color. Oh, well, that's what I'm going to do. Well, thank you for that. Now, you, obviously, you went on to act in more films. I'm going to ask you about a couple real quickly. One of them is one that I just watched for the first time last week, and that's called The Bishop's Wife. And I can't believe that I have missed this movie all these years because it was delightful. <laughs> it was starring Loretta Young and Cary Grant and, oh, and David Niven, yes. Mm -hmm. And, of course... Carolyn Grimes was in that movie. And Elsa Lancaster was in that movie? Well, Elsa Lancaster. Who could forget her? She played the part of the Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, she did. Oh, that's such a great classic. <laughs> and I, I saw who was in the movie, and I thought, this is a great movie. It's funny that Elsa Lancaster had, she really had kind of a minor part in it, yet she was a huge, famous oh, she was, actress. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she took that part, but she played it so well. What do you remember about that movie. Can you tell us a few things about what you remember? Well, um, I will always remember that dog. <laughs> the dog, the, the St. Bernard. That dog was just the biggest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I mean, he was like a horse and I, and he was so gentle and, and sweet and kind. And, you know, I petted him and, and he was great, but, um, I also remember that Cary Grant was a very gentle man too. And he would, um, one of the things I remember very much, he liked kids very much. And uh, there was some bad feelings on that set. So there was some uh, kind of jealousy with the adults. Competition wise, it wasn't good. So I remember that he hung around with me and that was pretty cool. Aww. It was really great. He used to come get me at lunch and he would pull me around on a sled because it really was an ice skating rink on the stage. Mm -hmm. And he had to practice his ice skating. So he would pull me around in a sled while he practiced his ice skating. It, it just, it was so cool. He was so great. He would come over and read me stories. And, you know, the adults weren't too friendly because they had had a little... Uh, mess up when they shot the movie in the beginning Cary Grant was my father and David Nevin was the angel oh the other and, way around huh? yeah the studio head came down and they said this just isn't working and so they fired the director and they hired another director called Henry Coster mm -hmm. and he was brilliant and he switched the parts and it made all the difference in the world and that, that's how it all got started. But there was some resentment on David Niven's part, for sure, because he wanted to be the angel. Yeah. So there, there was a little coldness about all three of them. So Jim, so Cary Grant hung around with me, and, and it was a lot of fun. I thought it was just great. You know, the, in the end, uh, I think the parts were better switched. And Henry Coster was a great director, and he was married to a woman who was a star horror movie star, Peggy Moran. Oh, okay. And she was beautiful and he loved her very much. And he had a bust made of her. And that bust is in every single movie he directed. Is that that thing that you keep seeing it in the movie? 
She's a woman. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's his wife. He really? put that. He put that bust in every woman, every movie he did. Oh wow! You know, for the listeners, I know many people, many of us have watched "It's a Wonderful Life" at least once, or maybe seven hundred times, maybe like I have. But the bishop's wife is is really kind of a cool story because you you play the daughter of David Niven and uh -huh. Loretta Young, and Cary Grant is this angel who comes along and sort of comes in and fixes some problems that are going on within uh, David Niven's house. And uh, well, his he's got his priorities family. mixed up. David yeah. Niven, David Niven is a is a bishop. Yes, and he's trying to build this giant cathedral, but he's kind of losing touch with his, his wife and his daughter and the true his meaning parish, of his, 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 uh, his vocation, all of that. It yeah. all becomes kind of an ego thing that he needs this grand cathedral. Mm -hmm. And it's a great movie. I really recommend it to anybody who hasn't watched it yet. So just briefly, you're in more movies. How many, do you know how many movies in total that you were in, Carolyn? Um, I think I was in about 19. Uh, 19, but just two mm -hmm. more, just real quickly that I, I read about. Uh, one is that you were in a movie with John Wayne. I think it was called Rio Grande from 1950. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, my gosh. That was so much fun because we were in Moab, Utah oh. for some of the filming. It was on the Colorado River Bluff. And oh, man, there was this little dirt road kind of carved into the side of the hill. <laughs> <laughs> And there was the, the river right on the, you know, you open the door and drop off into the river. Oh, my gosh, I was a little kid and I was scared to death to go on that road. And we had to do it every day because we worked on a farm that was at the very end of the road. And then, of course, I remember that, you know, they they warned me, don't go in the river because it has quicksand. So I was scared to death of the quicksand in the river. And um, there were uh, Native Americans in the movie. and. It was a great time, and perhaps one of my most memorable birthdays happened during that span. It was during the, the beginning of the Korean conflict, and the government commandeered a lot of the planes, so it became difficult to have shipments brought in for food and so forth and so on. But um, John Wayne had it made possible that they brought in $300 worth of fireworks, and he had a giant cake made and we all went out to the river bluff and we had a little happy birthday, little Miss Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How terrific. What, what a thing to remember. That's terrific. Would your mom be with you during all this? Oh, Would she, yeah. be, mm -hmm. she was right there the whole time. Mm -hmm. That's good. Did you have any school like schooling on the set when you were uh, this age? Cause that was, uh, this was Not after on that one because it okay. was during summer. And oh, okay. so, but we always had a teacher on the set, no matter whether it was summer or winter, um, there was always a teacher because it was her job. They were always women. Then it was her job to see that we weren't mistreated in any way, like under the hot lights too long or any kind of risk taken with our lives. That was her job. And um, okay. then during the school sessions, um, when school was on, Wherever we were, whatever movie I did, we had a dressing room that was set up like a, a one room school room and the kids went in there for lessons and so forth. You, you brought lessons from, I brought lessons from home from my school that I went to and then she would help you with your lessons and or that's the way it went. That's good. You had somebody, your mother and somebody else who's actually hired by the company to watch over you. That's very important. Yeah. I mean, I you hear stories about, you know, years ago that perhaps some of the children were, were working under not so good conditions that I've heard about that. Mm -hmm. I think so, that's probably true. Yeah. Didn't so happen glad. during my era. Good. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. One last one. And I have to mention this one only because he is one of my favorite actors because I'm a big old time classic horror movie fan and his name is Lon Chaney Jr. And I understand you were in a movie called Albuquerque with him. Do you remember that? And what was he like? Well, I do remember that very well, especially him. He kind of um, started a, a friendship of sorts with me. 
Mm -hmm. And um, he was intimidating, but I wasn't scared of him. And I, I liked him because he told me that I was ugly because I had freckles. <laughs> and you liked him. And I believed him because I hated those damn freckles. Oh, oh I, I hated them. I just hated them. <laughs> mm. So I, I thought he was correct. And that, that was good. So that started our friendship. And uh, <laughs> he was just uh, a very nice guy. He actually, you know, took time to talk to me and to spend a little time with me, which was unusual for a lot of those grunchy people. <laughs> he was cranky. <laughs> but he was going to have a fight with uh, Randolph Scott. And um, he, it was going to be fisticuffs. And he told me before, he said, uh, Carolyn, you know, I want you to watch the fight. And he said, but I'm, I'm going to bleed. And he said, I want you to know that it's just acting. I'm not hurt. That I have a capsule in my mouth and I'm going to break that capsule. And then you're going to see blood, but it's not really blood. And he told me that. So when I watched the fight scene, sure enough, he and Randolph Scott do the whole fight scene. And he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth almost the whole time that they're fisticuffing. You know, it's just ridiculous. And, and Randolph Scott, his clothes never even get, you can't see that anything happens to him. He looks neat as a pin throughout the whole thing. It's, it's hilarious. And sure enough, you know, he bled and, and that was that was it. So he became familiar with you by sort of kidding with you and joking about your freckles, but then he also cared enough to chat with you and then tell you not to worry that he wasn't bleeding he stuff like that. That's nice though. Of course he's, he's well remembered as the wolf man. Yeah. Uh, that was one I of knew that. Yeah, and you knew that. And that's even yeah. scary. He was a big guy. I understand just yeah, a really he was. big man. Anyway. So Carolyn, you, you had a couple of, of significant tragic events that, uh, really changed the course of your life and caused you to have to leave Hollywood. Could you just tell us a little bit about what those things were? Well, my mother started getting sick and um, you have to have a pushy stage mom or you're not going to make it in Hollywood. And I didn't care whether I was acting or not. You know, it didn't ever go to my head. It just wasn't a big deal to me. So I didn't really pursue it. And she started getting sick. She kind of had early onset Alzheimer's. Oh. And she started getting sick right after I did The Bishop's Wife. I was about eight years old when she started losing it. Mm. And um, it took her like five years. And my dad, it was hard for him to pay for somebody to take care of her, which he did all the time and pay for someone to take me for interviews and then pay someone to be my guardian on the set on the set mm. and he just didn't feel like you know he was able to do it himself and leave work so he he just he let it kind of fade away and it wasn't a big deal to me i discovered boys mm. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it just faded away did and, you find uh, somebody to replace jimmy stewart is that what you're saying <laughs> Well, he was a father figure, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it ended up that she died when I was 14 and then my father got killed in an automobile accident when I was 15. So the court mm -hmm. in Hollywood decided I'd be better off in a little town in Missouri to live with my father's brother and his mean wife. Oh. So that's where I ended up. I went from LA high. There were 900 kids in my high school class. There were 800 people in the whole town I ended up in. <laughs> so it was quite a culture change. Carolyn, that's so sad. I mean, what, what terrible tragedies. Oh, and you're transplanted now to a whole different type of a community. But I understand that that community that you moved to sort of embraced you. Well, they did. For the first year, I thought I'd died and gone to hell. But I began to realize that the people in the town were aware of my situation that I lived in. And the teachers, the uh, merchants, I had friends, they rallied around me and they were wonderful. I just, they gave me the strength that I needed to cope with that B-I-T-C-H. 
<laughs> and, uh, and it really worked. And um, I realized that there were real people in the world and they were kind and they had genuine feelings for you because kind of in Hollywood, it's all plastic and it's all put up, it's not real. And I won a couple scholarships to colleges and I excelled with my grades for the first time. And because um, I concentrated totally on school and that saved me. And um, so then I ended up going to college and um, it was a good thing. I became a medical technologist. I never wanted to go back to Hollywood again. I, I like the Midwest people. I like that kind of life. And so I would be in plays once in a while civic plays and so forth but that satisfied me and i felt like i was lucky to be out of hollywood yeah well that answers my question i was going to ask you next did you ever think about going back but that answers that question so i heard or i read that you hadn't even watched the movie it's a wonderful life until you were about 40 years old is that true that's very true i I had not watched it. I ended up, um, I had two kids with my first husband and he got killed deer hunting. Oh. We did divorce before that happened, but so sorry. then I remarried a man with three kids. I had two and we had two together. So I had nine, nine people to cook for and seven kids. Okay. And, you know, I just didn't have time. I ran a house and you know, that wasn't part of my life. Right. I gave it up years and years before, and I just, you know, didn't think anything about it. Mm. And once in a while, my kids would take a picture, a still or something to show and tell when they were really young. <laughs> that was it. So <laughs> one day somebody knocked on my door and they said, were you the little girl that played in the movie? It's wonderful. Like, were you Zuzu? And I said, well, yes. And they said, well, can we have an interview? And I said, well, I guess so. So I went downstairs in the basement and drug all my memorabilia up and we had an interview and it kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. And then I started getting fan mail and I thought, what in the world is going on here? This is, this is amazing. So I thought, well, maybe I better sit down and actually watch the film. So I did. And uh, that was changed my life, changed my world totally. From that time forward, I was totally in the film and I wanted to get the film out, let people enjoy the magic that it holds. And I worked from then on to do that. And you're, you're an ambassador, really unofficial, official ambassador for that movie. You, uh, you mentioned back in the nineties, you went around with cast members, but what are you doing today? Carolyn, that relates to getting the word out about It's a Wonderful Life? Well, I, I travel all over for the last, oh, since 1993, when we went on that tour, I've been on the road ever since. I liked the road. So I do appearances. I sort of was a part of the beginning of the It's a Wonderful Life Festival in Seneca Falls, New York, which happens every year. Uh, it started with maybe 800 people. Now we have 30,000, you know, I mean, oh, that's great. And uh, I was a part of the beginning and starting the museum in Seneca Falls. It's a wonderful life museum. And it's the only museum that honors a black and white movie in the United States. So um, it's pretty wonderful to be a part of that. And uh, we, we just got a big grant and we're going to rebuild it. And it's, it's going to be a really wonderful thing. Seneca Falls is like my second home now. <laughs> well, look, I, you know, uh, my wife and I heard about it a couple of years ago. My, my son-in-law had said that he, he really wants to go up and visit. And after speaking to you and reading up on it and everything like that, it sounds like a, something you don't want to miss. Oh, they have a 5K run that before COVID, like 6,000 people showed up and did the run. And it's just fabulous. They dress all funky, you know, in Christmas things, you know, some of them are angels, some of them are Christmas trees, and it's just fabulous. It's such a fun thing. And then the cast members come and they 
do autographs and presentations. And then the, a lot of people that are associated with the film, they've written books about it or something like that. And they come in and talk about the facts about the film. And, oh, we have all kinds of contests and, and it's, it's just wonderful. We have a giant dinner that we, we show Monica Capra hosts that and she is Frank Capra's granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And we just we just have a wonderful time and it's a, a weekend and I love it. And it's it's every year early December, right? Second week in December. Oh, second week, every second year. week. And how can people find out more about that? Well, the real Bedford Falls.com. The real Bedford Falls.com. Or the It's a Wonderful Life Museum.com. Perfect. I want, want to make sure we got the word out about that because it sounds like a lot of family fun stuff to do. There's carriage rides, there's train rides. I mean, it's really something. And it might be snowing and it might not. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrific. And now, the Gould Hotel is set up like um, martinis. They have a bar. It's set up like martinis. Yes. Yeah, terrific. Oh, that, now I really have to go. <laughs> Hey, I also understand that you are the honorary chairperson for the board of directors of Zuzu's House Ministries. Can you tell us about that? Well, I can. Um, several years ago, I was on the road. It was Christmas time. And Nicholas Enman from the Cherry Blossom Festival called me. And he said, I was in a limo. I remember this distinctly. He said, Carolyn, he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, um, I have discovered here in Marshfield, Missouri, there are a lot of homeless teenagers. He said, I had no idea. And he said, I have to do something about this. And so he said, would you be on board if we started a home for these kids? And we called it Zuzu's house. And um, I said, you betcha. <laughs> So we've been working to provide a home for some homeless girls in Marshfield, Missouri. It's just now getting off the ground. It took a couple of years to get it started and through a lot of donations and many, many, many people donating their hours, their lives to help this happen. It's really a wonderful, wonderful thing to see that the community came together and we have a Zuzu's house. Our motto is to give girls their wings. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And you and Nicholas uh, and others are doing a terrific job with that. And I look forward to see how that progresses. And I think the website, if it's correct, zuzushouse.com. That's right. And people can look online there and see maybe how they can help in some way. But I think it's a terrific thing to do that you and Nicholas are doing. Well, I don't really do a lot, but I visit it and I do, you know, promote it. And that's the thing that I think needs to happen. So we all work together, but they're hands on and, you know, they're out there hammering the nails, putting the building together and, there's one friend of mine that I stay with when I visit, and her name is Faye King. And she is not a young person, but man, she's out there hammering nails and putting stuff together. And she's designed the whole design of it, the decor. She's done a great job. And all of her volunteers and everybody's volunteered with her are, are fabulous. I mean, it's just a wonderful community. I wish many blessings upon that ministry. I think that's great. Now, just a couple last things. So you have a website named Zuzu.net. Uh, right. I've checked it out. I've looked at it. It's a great website, by the way. It, it's got your bio on there. It tells you your story. It's got some essays. It's got some things that people can look at. There's a store on there. I see you have a cookbook called Zuzu Bailey's It's a Wonderful Life Cookbook. And that looks fun and it's got some pictures in it and some, I think some additional materials plus some cool recipes. I, I plan on actually getting that book and see if my wife and I can experiment with some of your recipes. Well, it's, it's actually um, 
for the 75th anniversary is celebrating it. And this whole year is the 75th anniversary of the film. That's right. And the book has really funky recipes. We, we put them together because some of them are really cast member recipes. And, you know, there's roast potter and noodles. <laughs> Mrs. Welch's in a stew, beefy feast. You know, we really went out all out to name them funky names. Carolyn's Fourth of July firecracker summer zucchini. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Plus, there are interviews with uh, the cast members and um, Monica Hodges, who played, who was uh, Capper's granddaughter, and you know, there's a lot of interesting information in here. This is a remake of the one I did for the 50th anniversary. And so this is for the 75th anniversary. So it's on the book stands in the, all the stores. And it's also on my website. Terrific. That's Zuzu, Z-U-Z-U dot net. Mm -hmm. And I urge people to check that out and also find out what other things you're doing and where you might be appearing. Yes, that would be fun. I'm already getting booked. That's great. So here's a question I ask a lot of my guests. If you could go back in a time machine for one hour to have a cup of coffee with someone from your early years, who would that be? And what would you ask them? Oh, wow. Surprise. <laughs> Golly, that's really hard to say. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you. I probably would want to go back and talk to my father. Hmm. That's what I would do. Maybe it's too personal for you to ask, but do you know what you might want to ask him? I would probably want to ask him to not buy that new car that he bought and got killed in. <laughs> oh, oh, Alan. Yeah. Well, he came to me and he said, I've got enough money. I can either pay the house off or I can buy a new car. And I'm 15 years old. And he drove a 47 Frasier. Have you ever heard of that kind of car? I have heard of a Frasier. Yes. Oh, my God. They were like a, a dead box, a coffin with wheels. You know, I mean, they were hideous. Yeah. And he took me to school every day in that sucker. Yeah. <laughs> and I would make him park a block from a school and I'd get out and walk because I didn't want him to see that car. <laughs> so needless to say, I said, get a car. Yeah, most kids would have. And so he got a car and he got killed in it. So sorry. And he wasn't driving. It was somebody else. And they said there were faulty brakes. But my aunt and uncle never pursued it. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, you know, when I when I was going to phrase the question, I was talking to my wife about it. And of course, immediately I'm thinking, oh, she's Carolyn will probably think of somebody, one of the people in one of the films. And Kelly said to me, you know what, make sure you phrase it so that Carolyn has the opportunity to say maybe it's her mother or father or, you know, somebody else in her family. And I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. And sure <laughs> enough, <laughs> Kelly was right. Yes. I like that. I like that, that you'd want to talk to your dad. And, you know, that was such a sad time in your life. And I, I'm so sorry you went through that, but I'm also very thrilled that you are where you are now, what you're doing now, you've dealt with tragedies, some difficulties that are, are huge, but by the same token, you are using the, the message of it's a wonderful life of friends, family, faith, joy, Christmas, get togethers, family events. You're just doing a great job and you're just spreading so much happiness, Carolyn. You're just a blessing. Well, thank you very much. appreciate that. It's really the film and the actors in the film that spread the message. And I can't take credit for that. No, that's true. But you being a spokesperson, one of the spokespeople and uh, your attitude definitely reflects the attitude of the movie, which brings me to the end of our interview. But I'm going to ask if you could please say your famous closing words as Zuzu Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Daddy, teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. 
Thank you, Carolyn, and God bless you. And I wish you the very best this upcoming year and all your events. And maybe we'll see you in Seneca Falls in December. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Carolyn. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. You can connect with us on Facebook and YouTube at Your History, Your Story, or on Instagram and Twitter at YHYS Podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.